Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Good to have you guys here today. Uh, my name is Pastor Derek. If you're new to Connect, I want to welcome you. I hope you've had a, a good experience so far. The worship was just awesome. Amen? Amen. I love that last song and uh, all the songs I really love. And I'm so grateful for our team. And, you know, just as a quick encouragement, I was saying this in the last service as a result of the experience myself. There's a tendency for you, if you're a Christ follower, to come in and sometimes not come in with anticipation or expectation. And we can just become familiar with good music and uh, a great song and cool lyrics and, and things like that. And, you know, really we are going to determine the temperature of what God is trying to do in our life by our expectation and our anticipation. So I want to encourage you, when you come to church, come ready to worship. Amen? Amen. you got to prepare your heart and that prepares the whole house for it becoming a habitation for the presence of God to reside. But kind of, you know, and please don't feel chided or chastened by this. I mean this in love because I just want you to encounter God. But for you to encounter God, you have to come prepared to encounter God. And so sometimes we're, I know there's stuff that keeps us from being here on time. And I can't remember the last time I've, I've said something like this, but get to church on time. Get to worship on time. You're missing one of the most important elements of the service. And so when you come in song four, you're missing out. You're missing out. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're missing out. Turn to your second choice and say, I don't know if you are on time, but you might have been missing out too. There's a good chance. There's a good chance they were late. Okay? I sit in the back during the second service just kind of as a habit uh, for a little while. And uh, so it's just, it's just something. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not again, I'm, I want you guys not to miss out. You're missing out. You're missing out. It's a missed opportunity, and there's a lot of things that we're afraid to miss out on. You should be afraid to miss out on an opportunity to encounter God. On, Amen? That's good preaching right there. I just started out. I didn't know I was going to say that. So let's, let's be ready. Let's, 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 let's invite the presence of God. Let's make it a habitation, a place where he hangs out. If we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. If we come late, he might come late for you. Now, he always shows up on time, doesn't he? Doesn't he? He's faithful even when we're not faithful. Praise the Lord for that. So let's, let's be faithful as well as sons and daughters of God. Amen? So listen, quick announcement. Um, this afternoon at 2 p.m., you're going to receive a text message. Everybody say text. Yes. If you did not, it's because you're not signed up for it. And so there's instructions, I believe, in the worship guide for that. Uh, but basically, here's the deal. We are launching a uh, new location of Connect. Uh, like Connect East or something like that is what it will be called uh, in the spring, in the springtime. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's exciting. Did you guys know that? If you didn't know that, then you know that now. Uh, so we have, we have been working on this behind the scenes, praying about this, preparing for this for quite a while. And it, it is, uh, there's a lot of prayer, a fervent prayer going on. There's a lot of feverish efforts going on behind the scenes to get ready for that. But I need your help. So if this is your church either by frequent flyer definition or family, you're formally, you know, a part of the church, then I need you to fill out this freaking survey. <laughs> How's that for honesty, okay? Like it's important, okay? Because whatever doors God opens up for a location, the favor of, of God to open up a certain location, it is tethered to where the most people are. We're trying to be successful in birthing this baby church in another location. So we need to know where people are. This survey tells us, kind of gives us what we call a density map. So we can know where all our dream team people, all our small group leaders, and all our attendees 
are, and we're going to put you like little dots on a map, and that's going to tell us, okay, 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 we think we can build a successful uh, second location out of this uh, information. So, 2 o'clock today, we've only had about 350 people fill it out. There's like 1,200 that are supposed to fill it out. So, you got some work to do. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got some work to do. Okay. All right. Good job. Good listeners. That's enough chastening for today. Uh, so today, um, we're continuing our series. You can get your worship guides out. Uh, you know, if you're part of Connect, uh, we encourage strongly that people take notes. I like to say copious notes because note takers are. Let's say it like we mean it. Note takers are. That's right. Because you will learn so much more if you will participate. All right. And so some of you will not participate no matter what I say. And that's okay. I love you anyway. Um, but it'll help you if you do. Um, when when this, the genesis of this particular series, David, warrior king, uh, was, was kind of stern and, 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 and queuing up inside of me, um, I, I was thinking what you might be thinking. And, and I was thinking, you know, David, uh, human highlight reel, what was the coolest thing that he ever did? Uh, David, this, like, and this is my imagination, uh, which you know is a little peculiar, um, is this like five foot four guy? No offense to anybody who's short, really seriously, but there's like this five foot four guy going up against this nine foot seven inch giant. So that, that was, that's this picture that I have. And when this epic battle is taking place between these two individuals, this is my imagination, but I imagine when they're speaking, it's always in a Scottish accent. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like real brave heart, real brave heart. Anybody brave heart people out there? Freedom. Okay, never mind. I won't do that. But, but I can just see David like going up to, to Goliath. You come at me with sword and spear. I come at you in the name of the armies of the Lord God. <laughs> Terrible accent. I know. Today I strike you down. Cut off your noggin. What do you think of that? That's a terrible Scottish accent. Okay, that's an American attempting. A Scottish accent. It's awful. But anyway, um, but that's what I see. I see this incredible battle. But the truth is, when you think about David, there's way more to it than that, right? We haven't even talked about that, and I'm not going to today either, because I think there's so much more uh, to David's life and the lessons that can be learned. And what I love about David's life is the greatness that you see come out of him, a, a, a boy, a nobody who became a somebody. He was used mightily. He was a mighty warrior. He was a warrior king. And that journey from, from this nobody, this somebody, and all the lessons in between, basically, and the, and the idea is that there's greatness in David, but there's also greatness in you and me. Can I have an amen or at least an oh me? There's, a, there's greatness in you. And so I, I had this uh, picture when I, when I was a young boy because somebody prophesied this word of me that there's greatness in you. It's, and, and I remember they said it was like a grenade, there's a greatness grenade inside of you, and, and it's going to explode in your life at a certain point in your life. And at that time, I felt like the most timid, you know, just insecure individual on the planet. And, and yet God can see things in us that we cannot see in ourselves. And God can see things in you that you cannot see in you. And I'm just telling you that God has greatness inside of you, and you're meant to be a giant slayer. And your giant may be different than my giant, and your giant may be different than the giant that David fought, but we're all going to face giants and we all have giants that we need to overcome in this life, and I want you to be ready for that. And so we're going to pull the pin again this morning on that greatness grenade. Amen? Amen. 
as they get going, let me, let me say to those of you who are kind of in vacation mode, I love the summer. Um, we, we, uh, we, we got a little vacation coming up at the end of the month, and, and, and I love going to the beach, and I can't wait to get down and get brown. Come on, somebody. You are going to see a black man in a little while. That's all I'm saying. You can come back and be like, where's pastor? He's <laughs> his brother from another mother. Anyway, it's going to be, that's what's going to happen. I'm just telling you right now, it's going to be chocolate face. Uh, so... But, but when, you go, when you go on vacation in the summertime, that's when you beach it up. When you go on vacation in the wintertime, a lot of people like to cruise. Anybody ever been on a cruise? Raise your hand. Have you been on a cruise? Cruise, cruise, okay. So if you've been on a cruise, if you've ever thought about going on a cruise, you've had a conversation. The conversation basically is balcony or stateroom, is it worth it? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, am I going to pay for this room with the view, you know, this, this, this balcony that's like two by two? and pay that extra fee to get that awesome view, or am I going to go a stateroom? The truth of the matter is, and the reality is, we all want to pay for it because we think it's worth it. The room with the view, is it worth it? And here's the thing. David had a room with a view, and he paid for it, but it wasn't a vacation. It wasn't a vacation at all. So I want to talk to you about kind of, I, call, I called the message, or I titled the message, David in the Hot Tub. We could have called it Juke in the Jacuzzi, but I didn't know if that would come through right. And so, that's funny, I don't care what you say. All right, so, um, but David had a room with a view, and he paid for it. He had a destructive decision in his life that he made, it had devastating consequences. And as a result of this indiscretion, there was pain uh, not only in his life, but in his family, his family line, and even in his nation. And so we're going to talk about how to prevent that from happening and how to recover from it if it does, okay? And the reality is no one is immune. Everyone is susceptible to the damage that can come as a result of this particular story that we're going to talk about. We all uh, will find ourselves at one point in time in our life where we are tempted, yes or no? And like other weeks, we're not going to just take a sterile look at David's life and just look at all the great, he accomplished some great things. He was a great warrior, but he also wandered from being a warrior. And he made some, he made some big mistakes. And, uh, and we're not going to just look at the glowing attributes in order to learn. Sometimes you look at the mistakes of others so that you can prevent those from happening in your life. So this, this particular uh, story we're talking about is coming from 2 Samuel chapter 11. And so when you read this later, some of you like get, because I give a lot of stuff. And so sometimes you get into the, your devotions. So this is 2 Samuel 11 verses 1 through 15 for those. Who, I'll probably paraphrase at least two-thirds of that as we go forward. So are you ready? This is good so far, Pastor. Thank you so much. This is so good. It's so good. All right. So 2 Samuel 11, 1, it says, It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. Now, battle, I just have to pause there. Battle is an operative word in this message. So when I talk about, I'm going to be talking about the battlefield and the rooftop and making contrasts between those two words. They're very encompassing words. So battle is, uh, for us as Christ followers, doing whatever we are designed or called to do uh, to serve God, and doing what you're called to do with your life, your purpose, living with intentionality, living on purpose, not just roaming and, and cruising and, or remaining and retiring. And so and David was a great warrior because he lived on the battlefield. 
He did battle. He did what he was created to do. Are you guys tracking with me so far? So, so basically it says, David sends Joab and his servants with him instead of going to battle and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in the holy city of Jerusalem. In verse 2, it says, then it happened. Everybody say, it happened. This is just one of those things you want to remember we'll come back to. One evening. In other words, he didn't just get out of, you know, it didn't just, whoop, you know, suddenly happen, okay? Uh, it says, it happened, and David rose from his bed and walked out on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was beautiful to behold. Classic temptation, right? I mean, this is just classic. Poor guy. You know, he just so happens to walk out on the roof, and lo and behold, there's this hotty toddy, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, you know, in a tub, splish-splash, taking a bath, all about a Saturday night. All you 50s lovers out there know what I'm talking about. And, and it just happens. It just happens. Verse 3, it says, so David sent and inquired about this woman. He says, it's not... And someone said to him, isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him. In other words, he said, go get her. I want that. Because he's king, he can pretty much get what he wants. And he shouldn't have said, he, he could have wanted something, but he should have said, I want you more. This, this is just bonus, but to get out of some of the things that we struggle with on this level, we have to elevate what we want more on this level. So it's okay to want something here, to have, be tempted at this level here, but to not give in to that temptation. We have to decide we want something more than that. I, I may want to do certain things, but I want to hold fast the profession, the vow that I've made to my wife of 25 years. I may, I may look at a woman and go, oh, hey, oh, hey, but I want this more than I want that. I may, I may want, you know, to eat ice cream every day on vacation for the next two weeks. But I want this. <laughs> that just came to me. I don't know. It just came to me. <laughs> oh, that was bad. <laughs> I was like, where am I going with this? Oh, no. I said it. Do you ever wish you could just... <laughs> oh, that got my funny bone. Good. Come on down. Okay. You get the point. <laughs> oh, God. So, I can't recover. <clears throat> okay. Transition. <clears throat> Transition. So, it says, then it happened one evening, right? Earlier. Then it happened one evening. Do you think it just happened? Did it just really, did it just happen? Okay, scholars reveal this, and this is not in your Bibles, but if you get into commentaries and, and, and different uh, other, other non-biblical texts, it will reveal that the palace of a kingdom was designed such that, and it makes sense, you almost don't have to know this, you can know this intuitively, it was designed such that you could see the whole city from the palace. In other words, doesn't it make sense that the person with the most affluence and influence would have the greatest view? The strongest view. And so you could come out on your porch and literally you could see the rooftops of everybody within the city. And so, so if you were a king, you probably had insight into what you could see if you went out on the rooftop, right? 
And so it would make sense that if you want to keep yourself pure, and I believe purity and power are partners, if you want to maintain that power that God has given you, not man, you probably want to be careful about hanging out on rooftops. Is everybody with me out there? And so, so if you're a guy, watch out for that. If you're a girl, you watch out for certain things. You, 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 you know certain things are going to lead you down the wrong path. You, if you know you're going to be tempted, don't walk deliberately into that temptation. If you struggled with pornography, you're not going to go to porn shops and try to witness to people. If you struggle with alcohol, you don't go to the bars and start a church, okay? Maybe not immediately until you're completely and totally set free. And even if you are, you probably shouldn't do it that way. Can I get an amen from somebody out there? Okay. So here's today's big idea. Write this down. Stay on the front lines and away from the front porch, people. We got to stay on the front lines. In other words, the best defense against sin, uh, let's say in particular for now, sexual sin is a good offense. In other words, the best protection against temptation is living on the battlefield, Living in your purpose, living in your lane, being responsible to do what God has called you to do is the best defense against sin. It's an offense against sin. And this poor decision of David, which I believe was predetermined, in my opinion, became involved into the most painful time in his life and the life of those that were following him. He has, not only does he have relations with another man's wife, but he actually eventually kills an innocent man in the process to try to cover up his tracks. He tells, this, he tells Uriah the Hittite, and the Bible calls him an, let me pull the quotes away. The Bible calls Uriah an honorable man, right? He was an honorable man. David calls him back, tries to get him to go sleep with his wife, so it, because she's pregnant, it can cover his tracks and cover his sin. Uriah, Uriah says, I can't do that. Why can't you do that? This is because all my, all my fellow men are on the battlefield fighting. How can I enjoy the pleasures of the flesh when all of them are fighting for our lives? And David's like, my plan is getting wrecked. And so David has to up the ante. Now he's sinned with Bathsheba, another man's wife. Now she's pregnant. Now I want to cover this sin. Now this honorable man won't do what I've asked him to do. By the way, this honorable man, when you do the honorable thing, you'll never be forgotten. But it looks like he was forgotten. It looks like he died and that's it. But he's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. And Bathsheba's name doesn't even show up. God never forgets an honorable man or an honorable woman doing the right thing. So you don't want to forget that. But David tries to cover up Uriah's sin, uh, his sin through Uriah. And as a result, he doesn't follow suit. So then David takes it up another notch. You know, sin is a path. And you start walking down that thing, you're going to get deeper and deeper into the mud. And things get really messy. And we're convinced in the process that we can handle it, we can't handle it. And he sends Uriah, Joab, under the instruction of Joab, he says, send him out to the front lines where the battle is the fiercest. Why? So that he'd be killed. And sure enough, he was killed. So David, look, what he, look, at, look, what, look at this indiscretion. Look at how one sin, doesn't it, isn't it interesting? If we won't repent and own it and take responsibility in the moment, look at the compounding effects of sin. It's just, it's, it'll take everything from you. Uh, and so anyway, verse 6 through 14 basically tells you what I just told you. But I want to give you these, these three kind of key truths about temptation, three truths regarding temptation. Number one, we become great on the battlefield, not in the bedroom. And some guy's like, I'm pretty good in the bedroom. No, you're not. No, you're not. Just kidding. Um, but we, we be, our greatness is not when we're back behind closed doors. Our greatness is when we're out on the battlefield doing what God has called us to do. 
We were created to do something. We were created for greatness in the kingdom of God. You are, you're supposed to behave like a king. Kings and priests, the Bible calls us. 2 Samuel 11.1. 1. By the way, let me, let me just parenthetically say something real fast because I thought of this because there was a woman who came out of the service and another woman who came out of the service, uh, two, time, two people last service, and they were crying and they were overwhelmed. And they said, we were really quiet because it was hitting us so hard. I want you to know some of the things I'm going to say, I cannot be as sensitive as I want to be because it's like a doctor. When you go to the doctor's office, you only have a certain amount of time, and I'm going to give you the best help in the shortest period of time and send you off with exactly what you need. So it's not going to have the salve or, or the prop-ups maybe that you might need. And I want to just say my heart is not to offend anybody. I'm just trying to help everybody. Does that make sense? Okay, so just let me move on. 2 Samuel 11, 1, it says this. This is, this is in regards to your greatness is on the battlefield, not in the bedroom. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. So when do kings go out to battle? In the what time? The springtime. Okay, so spring, in this particular season, basically, uh, this is when all the battles were back then were about land, besieging land, getting more land, getting more land. And, because, and certain lands had more value than others because, they, because of their production, because they could produce. And so they were usually producing in the springtime. So battles were fought in the spring. David wasn't fighting in the winter. He actually just came off a break. But he was supposed to be fighting in the spring. So we can glean some things from that. Number one is God's not asking you to fight every single day. He wants you to have rest periods, but he wants you to have rest in the right time, in the right place. Not the wrong place at the wrong time. Does that make sense? And so God doesn't want you fighting all the time so you burn out. We got to fight, but we got to do it in the right season. So David sends Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroy the people. And it goes on to say, David remains behind. David was, bottom line, awesome in battle, but he was a reproach in the bedroom. He brought reproach in the bedroom. And my question, just introductorily, as my father would say, is are you on the battlefield? Are you actually in battle or are you kind of behind the scenes? Are you benched? Are you in some egregious behaviors, some sinful behaviors? Are you sidelined by sin, sidetracked by sin? God wants you to be out doing battle, what you were created and designed to do. That is the safest place for you to be. Temptation is not a sin. Giving into it is. But to overcome temptation, you are more readily uh, 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 it's more possible, uh, more, more likely that you will be able to overcome temptation when you are doing battle for God with what God has given you. Is everybody with me? But some people are remaining behind. Some people are, are going into retirement. Listen, I intend to serve God all the days of my life until he takes me home. So I'm never retiring. That, and that doesn't mean, I, and that's irrelevant. It's, it's not connected to my compensation. My calling and my compensation are separated. I'm called of God. I need to use the gifts that God has given me, and I'll use them as a volunteer or I'll use them as a, a full-time pastor. You need to have the same mentality that we are used, we are called to be, and called to be used by God, and that never changes, that never stops. Mm, it's quiet in here, but anyway. The devil will chase you, by the way, out in the rooftop. But God can't protect you in that place, though. So we got to get away from that. And so he covers you when you're on the battlefield. When you're on the battlefield, it's, it's, not, like, it's not like you won't sin. You're just less likely to sin. And I don't know how to qualify everything, but, but, but I sin less living on purpose than living, living in an 
on the offensive end of things than living on the defensive end of things. Lord, keep me from doing that. Lord, keep me from doing this and keep me from doing that. And just focus on what I'm not going to do. I need to focus on what God has called me to do. In the process of doing what God has called me to do, it's not 100% that I won't sin, but it is less likely that I will sin. Does that make sense? Because whatever you focus on, that's what you move towards. I'm focused on pleasing God. When I'm focused on pleasing God, I'm more likely to please God. When I'm focusing on not sinning, I'm focusing on sin and I'm more likely to sin. Mm, so it makes sense, right? And so you're called as an as a overcomer, as a Christ follower, to kind of take dominion over your situation for yourself, but also for others as well. As a warrior, listen to this. David had unbelievable courage. He defeats a lion, a bear, a giant. As a warrior, David had unbelievable integrity. In other words, when the enemies were coming against him, when he was living like a warrior, doing battle, when Saul's throwing spears at him, people are pursuing him. David did the right thing because he was living as a warrior. As a warrior, David was a great example. And he was such an example that all different types of people would gather around him and want to follow him. Even, you know, little things he took very seriously in his example. Oh, I wish that I could have a cup of cold water. And then his mighty warriors run over into the enemy's camp, risk their lives to just bring him back a cup of water. He says, I can't touch that. I would never ask you to risk your life for me. I was just making a statement. He always, as a warrior, lived above reproach. But on the rooftop, David took another man's wife, a soldier in his own army's wife, and commits adultery. On the rooftop, David tries to cover his sin by deceiving Uriah. On the rooftop, because of that experience, David actually kills an innocent man. He would have had more integrity by stabbing Uriah in the back than doing what he did. See the difference between rooftop and battlefield? Is everybody with me? The rooftop, that place of temptation, can corrupt the best in all of us. But the battlefield, doing what God has called you to do, brings the best out in all of us. Rooftop warriors, uh, uh, you know, they don't justify, excuse me, rooftop warriors, rooftop people try to justify what they're doing. Warriors won't. So I'm asking you to get back on the battlefield. See, I think the church, for the most part, is sitting on the bench. I think, for the most part, the church is remaining behind in the city instead of going out into the springtime to do battle. I think the church, most of the time, doesn't know its gifts. And then when it does, it doesn't operate in its gifts. I'm just telling you, if you want to overcome in this life, you want to make sure that you're, you're above and not beneath, you're the head and not the tail, you're not, you're not, you don't got your tail up over the dashboard and life's just taking you over every day, you have to live on the battlefield for God. Amen. If that's not just me trying to sell church, if you think that, go someplace else and, and serve there. But I'm just telling you as your pastor, the best thing for you to do is to get out of the rooftop and get onto the battlefield and do what God's called you to do. Amen? Amen. Here's some truths about the battlefield. I just wrote these down in my notes just a couple days ago. No one avoids the battle. No one avoids battle. You're a warrior or you're a captive. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. Life is motion. You, listen, you just can't tread water, people, and stay in place. You are going forward or back. You're a warrior or you're a captive. And God wants you to be an overcomer, not overcome by anything. Here's another thing. You can't retire uh, from battle. Battle's just going to keep coming. Temptations, struggles, challenges, problems. You know what I mean? You can decide, I love problems, and I am called and equipped to overcome problems, or you're going to be taken over by them. That's just a fact. 
The ocean tide's just going to keep coming. Boom, here we go again. Boom, here we go again. Tide's coming in, tide's going out, tide's coming in, tide's going out. That's life, everybody. So you can't retire from it. And when you surrender, when you decide I'm not going to fight, then you suffer, your family suffers, and other people suffer. That's what happened. All those people under David's authority, uh, the punishment of David's sins spread down through the line, through generations. So when we don't fight, men, when we don't fight for our families and for our marriages and for our children, you need to know something. The Bible says the sins of the father. What's the sin? Because you abdicated your role. Because you wouldn't step into what God's called you to do. Because you remained. Because you retired. When you do that, those sins are passed down generationally. The things that you will not fight for. Fight for right standing with God. Fight for right standing with your kids. Fight to pass on certain values and different things like that. When you don't do that, those things get passed down to the next. And it's true for either side of the equation, husbands or wives. See, see, when you surrender, here's another thing, when you won't fight, uh, there's no such thing as private sin. Here's a secret about sin. There's no secret. See, it might not be visible at the moment. It'll be visible at some point. The Bible says that the things that are concealed will be revealed. The things that you hide behind closed doors will be shouted from the rooftops later. So you have a choice. Deal with it now or are you going to deal with it later? You can pay now and play later or you can, you can kind of... You can play now and pay later greater. So we have a choice. We don't deal with it. It's going it's, it's gonna, it's gonna to hurt. It's going to hurt down the road. So we have to fight. I'm trying to give you incentives to fight. Here's the secret of, of peace and rest in the economy of God. Warfare. Here's the secret of peace. Warfare. Not, not flesh and blood warfare. Not arm wrestling your children or your spouse. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, Bible says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Tells us to put on, what? The full armor of God so that you can be able to stand up against the devil's schemes and the different things that he's trying to do. When you put on that full armor of God, it says, then you'll be ready when the evil day comes. So that means when there's a temptation, and it will come, you'll be ready because you were ready for battle. You were living in a battle mindset. You were preparing yourself spiritually for battle. You knew you couldn't just retire, resign, and remain. Is everybody with me? Okay. Say, pastor's pretty worked up right now. Yeah, I am. <laughs> we, see, we can win every battle if, we'll, if, if, we're, if we're doing what God's called us to do. But when we, when we don't choose to fight, we, we lose every battle. Believers find out who they are in the battlefield. It's where your gifts come to light. I think there, there are times where most people, 87% of most Christians, do not know their gifts. If I went and I said, hey, what are your spiritual gifts? Is it, you know, is it pastor? Is it shepherd? Is it exhortation? Is it encouragement? Is it leadership? Is it administration? What are those things? Most people don't know those. That's why you're struggling. Because you don't know what it is. And then and some of you know what it is, but are you operating in those gifts? When you function and operate in those gifts, you will overcome in this life. The church is a place for that to take place. But the, thing, the reason the church is such a good place for that is because of the eternal implications of it. It does something for you, but it does something beyond you. The battlefield is the only place you truly can succeed, and it's often, it's often what we're not doing uh, that's keeping us from, uh, from God's best in our life. Mm-mm-mm, it's quiet, it's quiet in here. See, 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 I think sometimes as Christians, we, we, we choose like the, the magic wand. We choose the, just pray for me, make it all go away. I get annoyed by that in myself. 
I'm not just saying you. It's just like I'm struggling with some stuff. I need to go get prayer. No. Some things are not cast out. Some things are crowded out. Crowded out. In other words, I'm not saying be busy. I'm saying do things of significance that matter. I was just talking to a friend last night, and he was saying, Pastor, you've told me this for years, and, and, and I'm in a church right now, and one of the things you used to say is, when there's an opportunity presented by God, say yes. Say yes. Now, you've got to pray about it and discern and blah, blah, blah. Don't go down that road. You know how many times we disqualify ourselves and say no? It's ridiculous. I said, you need to say yes to God in spite of what's required. That's the fear of the Lord. And so he says, we started saying yes to God, and everything's starting to turn around in our lives. How many times do you say yes to God when he gives an opportunity for you to step into the game? How many times do you do that? That's why sometimes, that's why sometimes we're struggling. My dad used to say, you know, uh, when, I was, when I was mowing the lawn, you've heard me say this, and there's dandelions in the lawn, and there's weeds in the lawn, and I'm spending time pulling weeds and dandelions. And just, it was never going to go away. And he says, son, 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 overseed, you'll kill the weed. See, I'm spending all my time plucking the weeds in my life and the dandelions in my life. And, and God's saying, you overcome evil with good. Do what I've called you to do. Start using the gifts that I've given you for his purposes. And in the process of doing that, you will suffocate sin. Some of you are struggling with sin and the cords of sin are wrapping around your throat because you're trying to get it cast out of you when you need it crowded out of you by doing what God has called you to do. Suffocate sin. Suffocate it with significance and purpose. Purpose will protect you. Here's another thing. David's problem on the rooftop wasn't a temptation problem. It was a location problem. See, some of us, I'm going to go into ministry. and I struggled with pornography, so I think I'm going to start a church at the porn shop. No. That's just crazy. Okay? So sometimes it's just you're struggling because of where you are. You know, and so there may be a day you're, you're, you're accidentally in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that's why the Bible says when those things come about, run, forest, run. It says, that's my translation for flee, youthful lusts. You see the parallel there? You just run. <laughs> this incident wouldn't have happened to David if he'd been on the battlefield. And so you can and I can deal with our problems of, of lust, of anxiety, of fear, of loneliness, of sorrow, of purposelessness by not living on the rooftop, by living on the battlefield. 1 Corinthians 9, there's this scripture where Paul is talking about another analogy to living purposeful. You know, sometimes he uses army. In this case, he uses athletics. And he's talking about those that compete, compete to win. They can, when they run a race, they run to win. And it says, those people who do this, when they're doing it for not a corruptible crown, but an incorruptible or imperishable. That means we're not doing something for outside selfish gain. We're doing things for eternal gain. And by the way, the only thing that has an eternal, the only organization or organism that has an eternal purpose or focus is the church of Jesus Christ. And so when we do things for the church, we are doing things that are, that have imperishable rewards to them. And you need to hear it in this life because in the next life, you're going to thank me for it. When you do things for the church of Jesus Christ, you are getting crowns and rewards that are imperishable. They, they, they will not rust or corrupt. They are rewards that are eternal. And Paul is saying this. When you do that in this life, you can look it up. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, it says, The person who does those things is temperate in all things. That means 
You are not susceptible. You have self-control, and you are not susceptible to temptation. Temperate. You hear what I'm saying? In other words, when you're living for God and his purposes on the battlefield, you are less likely to give in to temptation. That's what this is saying. This is good preaching, Pastor. So the ultimate battlefield, by the way, is not to just realize God wants you to be free from temptation and overcome, but the secret sauce that takes it to the next level is that God wants to use you on the battlefield to help others who are failing, who are falling, who are tripping, and help them win on the battlefield. That's what we're designed to do together. Amen? So here's what, here's, here's, well, here's what we see. When David, was not, when David was not living on the battlefield, when he was not living on purpose, when he was, uh, uh, his friends weren't there, then he gets out on the rooftop and he makes a huge mistake. And I personally believe it was an accident. I believe he had many strolls out there on the rooftop over, over many times in that springtime that he was there. I don't think it just happened. I think, I think it's more, and then it happened. Right? So here's the second point. Write this down if you're taking notes. And if you're not taking notes, please go ahead and write this down. <laughs> Number two, when the act of sin is finally committed, we end up doing physically what we've been doing mentally for a long time. So by the way, there's a connection between physical and mental, but I'm not mentioning the spirit. I'll mention the spirit at the end because, because the, the, you need three parts to be able to overcome in this life. You need, you need your spirit alive and quickened, but when your spirit is not alive and quickened, then what ends up happening is the things you do mentally in this soulish realm, you think about it, you have feelings about it, you desire things, you're ruminating over different things, eventually whatever you think about, you'll end up doing the cycle of sin is thoughts, words, deed. David was thinking about it, and then he told somebody, go get Bathsheba and bring her to me, and then he lay with her. Thought, word, deed. That's the cycle of sin. So where do you win the battle? In your thought life, right? But to overcome in your thought life, you have to have your spirit alive, ruling and reigning your tripart being, which is a big part of the equation. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2, it says, Then it happened one evening that he rose from his bed, and, and he gets out on the roof, and he saw a woman bathing. And I don't think he just went out there and goes, oh, my gosh, I had no idea she was out here. You know what I mean? And, and, and I just can't, just can't imagine him. He, he just fixed his eyes instead of bouncing his eyes past that temptation. And that's what we do. When we're caught in and taken captive by sin, and the cords of sin start to wrap around us, you know what our nature does? What we should do in Christ if our spirit is alive and being nourished regularly is we repent of that quickly and we run. But if we are not feeding our spirit, then we justify our sin. We say crazy things. Counseling a couple, husband and wife, and, you know, and they're on this path to uh, division and, and path to divorce and, and somehow something inappropriate takes place. And, and, the, and the girl tells me that the, her husband you know, kissed another girl. He hasn't done anything else, but he's done that. And he's like, oh, that's all I did. She, and then he'll say, she kissed me. How many heard that one? Oh, how did her face get so close to yours is what I want to say. You big dubba. What? This is the stuff that we do. We make excuses, but we shouldn't. And why do we make excuses? Because we've been living on the rooftop. We have not been living on the battlefield. It wouldn't have happened in the first place. But if we did somehow because of an unfortunate set of circumstances or an all-out assault of the devil, we would have run because we had been living on the battlefield. Now, there was something 
that was broken in David's soul. That's why it happened. It wasn't happenstance. It was it's something was broken inside of him. And I think, it, I think it had been there for a while. And then so what happens is, this is the devil, listen. The devil's intelligent. He's not omniscient. The devil will, will at the most opportune time come and attack you. So what happens is he lulls you to sleep. He gets you to think, you're okay, you can handle this. You can manage this. The devil's like a snake, right? We know he's a serpent in Genesis, so he's like a snake. So we think we can handle the snake. We can pet the snake. Ah, oh, it's just a little snake. Meanwhile, it's wrapping around our arm, pet the snake. Snake doesn't, this snake doesn't bite. Wrapping around, wrapping around. And then he wraps around our neck. Then he bites us at the most opportune time. That's what happens in this situation. Jesus was tempted. Is that sin? No, giving into it is sin. Jesus was tempted in Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. He was tempted in three different areas. But when he defeated the enemy in all of those different temptations, the Bible says that the devil went away for a more opportune time. So what that means is the devil lies in wait and he kind of leads you to believe. It's almost like fishing. He gives you a little slack on the line. lets the bobber kind of stick there for a little while. So that hook takes root. And then at the most opportune time, he does the most damage. And that's what he's trying to do in our lives. That's what he was doing in David's life. One day, why am I telling you this? Because one day, you and I, if you haven't already, you will have a room with a view. And I mean that figuratively and perhaps literally as well. And the question is, will you be ready? And that's why you have to be a part of this. That's why you want to sit under the word. That's why you want to know the word of God so that when those moments come, you have, you have divine recall. You cannot pass a test that you have not studied for. The Bible says study to show yourself approved. You can't pull that out of you in that moment and be able to fight that temptation. But the Bible says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. And so when you have it in there, in your spirit, you'll be able to pull that out when you need it in those times. But one day, you'll all be tempted. You'll all have a room with a view. And it might not be literal. It might be mental. The New Testament standard is pretty high. It says, if you've even looked lustfully upon a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. And I bet you there's maybe, maybe a couple people in here, probably not, that have never crossed that line before. See, we have to be ready. God wants to get it deeper than just the surface deterrence and all the different things we can do. He wants to get the sickness of our soul dealt with where we're no longer living in bondage. We're not giving into the, the impulsive desires of the flesh or the compulsive desires of the flesh. An impulsive desire is when you don't intend to do something, you stumble upon it, and then you fall into it. You weren't intending to fall into this trap or this hole, but, but you're just walking along, and there it was. You were going through the channels, planning to watch ESPN, uh, some kind of thing or whatever, and all of a sudden you see a show that's not, not appropriate, and you, 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 at your impulse, your inclination is to go ahead and watch that. Whereas compulsive behavior is where you get to the hotel, and you can't wait to run upstairs and rent a porn flick because you're in bondage. You're, it is more compulsive behavior. It, it's an irresistible urge to do something against one wish. Both of those are negative. One's got a little tighter noose than the other. But they all reveal that we have a root issue. If you want different fruit, you got to deal with the uh, root. You got to deal with the root. And so David had some root issue problems. And, and we got to deal with that. And how do we do that? That's why you're here. I don't have time to talk about all the different things to get free in Christ, but you got to know the word. You got to be and sit under the word. You got to hide the word in your heart and devotions. You got to sit under the word so you're getting exhorted and encouraged on a regular basis. You want to get into small groups and, and open up and be transparent and have true accountability. Is that happening in your small groups? It needs to. That's the goal. Who cares about the curriculum? Who cares about the content? 
Are you having conversations? Honest, transparent conversations coming out from behind the pulpit and behind the fig leaf of your life and just say, here's the naked truth. Here's the real me. I have some struggles. Can we talk about it? Can we pray about it? Confessing your faults one to another so that you might be healed. Is that actually happening? That's how you overcome temptation and get stronger. And when you know have that accountability with that brother or their sister in Christ, you are less likely to live in and fall prey to temptation. That's what it means to live on the battlefield. It's not just pray. Yes, some of you need some deliverance, okay? Absolutely. But sometimes you don't cast the devil out. You crowd it out, amen, with the right crowd. Mm-hmm. This is good preaching. Praise the Lord. Third point. Are you ready? Last one. Greatness. Greatness doesn't demand you need to be perfect. Greatness doesn't demand perfection. It does demand we take responsibility for our mistakes. So on one side of the equation, this, this is a life principle for me. My dad um, helped me articulate this when I was a young man. But, but responsibility is the best thing that's ever happened to me, is what I always say. So responsibility will keep you from sin. Listen. But when you make a mistake, and you will, responsibility will get you out of it. It's the best way out. It's the best way out is responsibility. Okay? So, so the standard for God upon us is perfection. None of us are going to meet that standard. That's why Jesus came. Can I have an amen? We need Jesus, the only one who could be perfect and meet that standard. And our problem sometimes with sin is because we are comparing ourselves to ourselves and to other people, and we are not comparing ourselves to the perfection, the majesty, the purity, and the glory of God. And if we compare ourselves to God, realizing he's perfect, it makes us so grateful for him or want him in our life because we realize we cannot do it by ourselves. When David messed up, he got his eyes off God, and so God sends the prophet Nathan to rebuke him and to remind him it's all about God. And David responds responsibly to that. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't respond responsibly when we're confronted by God. Sometimes we just, we just, we just, we, we, the conviction of the Holy Spirit unattended becomes condemnation. Listen. I'm being a good pastor this morning. You may not like me after today, but when you come under conviction and you don't do something about it, it becomes condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's not him. That was you. You didn't do what he told you to do. Okay? So, so what happens is when we don't do something about it, we walk out. And you know what we do to feel better about ourselves? We judge other people. So now we just start, we start becoming the warden of the church. We start telling everybody, oh, hey, look at how them. Oh, hey, oh, hey, oh. And we just... We start sizing everybody up. The Bible says that, that judge not, that you be not judged. Because whatever you judge them, that's going to come back upon you. And so i got to just caution us. This is a judgment-free zone. I may be talking strong, but there's no judgment here. There's no judgment here. I've counseled couples that have come through uh, specifically infidelity, which is probably one of the most painful things to try to overcome. And I found a couple things. I've discovered a couple things. And one is that it's conditional upon, and this is an oversimplification, so please don't misinterpret this or just, you know, go prescribing this with, without context. But, but in order to overcome infidelity, both parties ha- are, have to participate. But, but first, each person has to forgive themselves and they have to forgive the other person. Now, we almost always know we have to forgive the other person, you know, if, if they're, the, they're the offender. But sometimes we don't realize, you know, the person who's the offended, you know, um, you know has to forgive themselves. So there's forgiveness starts this healing process. 
But the second part I like to focus on is the part that's missed a lot of times, especially with, with I'm putting it in quotes because this is classic, the offended, the victim, is we don't take personal responsibility for our part in the process, in the division of the relationship, in the breakdown and breach of the relationship. In other words, whenever there's a marital failure, and then I'm touching some nerves here, so I'm going to surgical care, you know, put my gloves on. When, when, when There's always two parties responsible, without exception. I don't care the degree. The degree is irrelevant. Well, it was 90% her, it was 10% me. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. There's always, without exception, two parties responsible in the breach of a relationship between two people when the problem uh, surfaces. Oh, no, it doesn't. Listen, it, it's the only way out for you and your pain and her and her pain, or him and his pain, is to take personal responsibility, to, to own your part, whatever part that is. Don't put a percentage on it because that'll bog you down, but you need to own your part. The only person you can change is you. But when you focus on you, then change will begin to take place and healing begin to come. Let me put it more plainly. To the extent that you are focusing the blame and condition of your happiness and fulfillment on someone else and what they did to you reveals the extent of your deception. See, so you have a part to play in the healing process. You weren't that good a husband. You weren't that good a wife. You weren't that good looking. You weren't that caring. You weren't that perfect. You weren't perfect. And unless you were, you were a part of the process. And so, in fact, that disposition, according to the word of God, if you think you're uh, eliminated from that, that'll get you in trouble. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, So let the man who feels sure of his standing today be careful that he does not fall tomorrow. In other words, when you think that way, you are setting yourself up. If it hasn't happened already before, and you're covering that up, it'll happen in the future, in your own life. You'll fall and stumble. And by the way, it may be a different sin, but to God, one sin weighs the same as a thousand sin. Because he's perfect. Because he's perfect. And so we categorize sin, but God, God doesn't. So one sin can separate you from God. That's why Jesus came. That's why he's here. So an indicator of true repentance is who you're concerned about getting right with. Or four. Are you concerned about getting right for yourself? Are you concerned about getting right just here? Are you concerned about getting right with God first? See, when my kids used to make mistakes and they used to sin and fall, and they did. <laughs> and, and so they, if they had a fight with their, with their siblings, we come on and say, now say sorry to your sister. I'm sorry to your sister. And then the hugger. <laughs> and so we, would, we could tell they weren't really into it. So you know what we'd always do? We'd say, did you get right with God? Well, and there's some kind of, who knows what's coming out of their mouth, but it wasn't ownership. And so, so go back to the room. And I want you to talk to God, and I want you to get right with God, and don't come out until you do. And what would happen is as soon as they got right with God, they were able to get right with everybody else. As soon as they owned it with God and took responsibility before God, they were able to responsibly handle what was going on out here. And David did this. David was a bad, he was, he was, a, he was a great warrior. He was a great repenter too, though. He was a bad sinner, but he was a great repenter. In Psalm 51, he says this in verse 4. He says, against you, this, this chapter, Psalms 51, relates to the story of Bathsheba. Remember, we have that chronological connection between what happens in Psalms and also what's happening in 2 Samuel 11. And he says to God, after being confronted, he says, against you only, God, have I sinned. In other words, my first priority is we're not good. I need to make sure we're good. Are we okay? Create in me a clean heart, oh God. 
Renew a right spirit within me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't cast me away from your presence, oh God. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. That's what he was concerned about. But see, we're so, we're so here and it's not working out. That's not what it means to be responsible. What it means to be responsible is to be truly repentant to a holy and pure and perfect God who's not there to judge you, who's there to set you free, but he cannot set you free if you keep blame shifting and pointing the finger at anybody else except you and taking it before God and asking for mercy and grace. He could have said to God, Lord, have you seen Bathsheba? I mean, check her out. He could have said that. He could have said, but my mom and my dad. He could have said government. He could have said, did you see where I was raised? Do you see the temptations all around me? Did you see? He didn't take the blame off himself. He put it on himself. He owned it. And because of that, he was able to be set free. The difference between a great leader and someone else, and someone else is responsibility. The difference between sorry and true repentance is responsibility. And the difference between the rooftop and the battlefield is responsibility. Can I have an amen? Why don't you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. There's a scripture that follows a verse I just said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And it says, No temptation has seized you, but such is common to man. In other words, whatever you're facing, it's common. <laughs> I, I don't know what you, you, oh, if you knew the temptation, if you knew what I'm going through right now, if you know, hey, listen, all I can say is the Bible says God is faithful. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. In fact, he will make a way of escape for you so that you can stand up under it. But you have to take the exit that he gives you when he does. That exit might be this message. That exit might be a phone call that comes from somebody with a, with a kind warning, a gentle instruction. Say, whoa, 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 I don't think you should be going down that road. I don't think you should be on that rooftop. I don't think you should be with that person or, that, or in that job or in that situation. Take the exit. This, 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 I have two people in my mind right now, but I had two situations where somebody was amidst sexual temptation with a person and their phone butt-dialed me. It's funny, but it was serious at the time. It's funny now, but it was serious. And I could hear what was happening. And when that person, both of them, figured out what was going on, how many know they called me? I remember one of them saying, you get on a red eye and you get home in my office tomorrow at 7 a.m. We're going to have a talk. God intervened. He was like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Listen, listen, take the exit. Hopefully you don't get that far into a situation because there was a lot, a lot of problems after that. Listen, God will make a way of escape. God is faithful. Whatever you're facing, he'll help you through. Close your eyes, I want to pray for you. You need a moment, just you and God, not everybody else in God. In order for you to be okay with God, you got to make sure, you two things, you're not disconnected from him or you're not distant from him. Some of you are disconnected from him. What does that mean? It means there's a part of you, your spirit part of you, that unless that's alive, you can't even fight this battle. You can't even fight this battle. And that means you have to invite Jesus into your life. Jesus turns the, the pilot light, the spirit part of you on so that your mind and your body do not rule or have the right to rule you anymore. When you surrender to Jesus, 
your spirit comes alive. And if you know that you are not surrendered to Jesus Christ, you have no promise of tomorrow. You don't know what battle may face you tomorrow. I'm telling you, as a man of God, I'm telling you, you need to surrender your life to Jesus. If you haven't done that, I want you to raise your hand and say, today's my day. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to make sure I'm in right standing with God. Go ahead, put your hand up. Good night. I don't want to miss it. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. That's awesome. All right. Now, if you, that's the discon- you feel disconnected. Now, you might feel distant from God. That's because not because you're not a believer. It's because you're not in battle. And you are either on the rooftop or you're heading to the rooftop. And if you know that's you, I'm just going to ask you to be bold. Every head bowed, every eyes closed in this room. I'm going to say, raise, I'm just ask you to raise your hand and say, I'm distant. I don't want to live on the rooftop. I want to live on the battlefield. Come on. Good night. Don't miss it. No judgment. This is no judgment. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Good, 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 good job. Good job. You can put your hands down. Now, church, I want you to pray this prayer. First group, second group, together. Pray this prayer. Say, Jesus. Come on. Say, Jesus, I can mean it. Jesus, I need you in my life. Today is the day of salvation for me. I ask that you save my soul and that you save me from the sins of temptation. I invite you, your power, your authority into my life. I make a decision of my free will to live on the battlefield and not on the rooftop, to stay on the front lines and not on the front porch in Jesus' name. Now, Father, for every person who prayed that prayer, I pray that you seal that in their heart, that they walk out of here and something happened and something different. They made a commitment in their heart, a decision in their mind, and their feet are going are gonna to follow through on the things that they said. They're not going to live on the bench. They're not going to remain. They're not retired. They are activated in Jesus' name to do battle for God. Every single person in this room, a church alive, a church quickened by the Spirit of God, and it's for, it's for your purposes that we do this, oh God, and we thank you for the privilege of fighting battles for you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap all over the room. God bless you. God bless you.